being apart these past three months has been hard, but it feels different and worse this week. When the pandemic started, I was checking the headlines every night, but then I stopped that. It was too much. No more news for me. But then this past Sunday, I was sitting with some friends in the evening outside, and they told me what was happening. The social unrest and the racial tensions, the looting and riots and violence, the ever-intensifying political fighting, it's all unsettling in a way that the virus has not been. And talking about it feels more personal and threatening, and so being separate today feels worse. On most Sundays, I think carefully about the kind of pastor I want to be. Sometimes I try mostly to teach. Sometimes my aim is to support and comfort. Sometimes it's to challenge and inspire. This morning, I'm going to be a witness. Plain old Christian Andrews the person. A fellow disciple trying his best to hear Jesus and then bear witness to what he hears. I am still a pastor and I speak as a pastor, but I'm also a fellow traveler with you. I'm a person who's been loved and saved by Jesus' grace, and I'm trying my best, like you are, to understand and respond faithfully to a set of circumstances that are overwhelming. To hear what Jesus is saying and share what I hear. On Wednesday this week, I did something that I haven't done for a long, long time. I spent almost six hours watching the news, reading articles and posts about what's happening in our country. I intentionally spent time on the partisan networks, both sides insisting that they are the fair one, both sides slandering the other endlessly, both sides engaging in the kind of rhetoric that felt an awful lot like propaganda. Because I watch so infrequently, I'm more sensitive when I do. After a full morning of exposure to every imaginable opinion about George Floyd's death and the looting and riots and violence that followed, including videos of the most sensational moments with commentary and edits to make the other side look as bad as possible, I felt so tired. And I also felt apprehensive that speaking about what's happening would definitely divide people up. And I don't want to contribute to the divide. Partly for selfish reasons. I don't like the feeling of being labeled and hated for being in the wrong group. Who does? I want to avoid that. But then more importantly, I'm sure that dividing up from one another is bad for us. Individually, and as a society, and especially as a church. The social and racial and political issues that are tangled up in with what's happening are some of the most divisive things that anyone can talk about. Basically, by lunchtime on Wednesday, I was mostly afraid of saying the wrong thing. But then I decided to stop watching other people talk about what happened and I watched the video of George Floyd's arrest and suffocation. 
Not my favorite news network's edit and commentary. But the 10 minutes pieced together from security camera and cell phone footage. From his arrest to when they take his body away. Watching was a very intentional decision for me. I believe Jesus' followers are responsible above all else for loving their neighbors as themselves. It's the only way we love God. And love requires empathy. When your neighbor is suffering, love means working at seeing things from his perspective. In this case, to me, that meant imagining Mr. Floyd was my father or my brother or my son and then watching what happened to him. In my original draft of this morning's message, I described in detail what I saw. Yesterday, I shared what I had written with some friends who I trust, one who's been a pastor in New York City for 20 years. He read it and told me it was too much. And I was not trying to be sensational at all. I just described what I saw. You made the choice to watch that, he said. You have to leave it up to your listeners to make that choice for themselves. Before watching what happened, I was afraid of saying the wrong thing. As a pastor, I don't want to do that. After watching it, I was much more afraid of not saying the right thing, of keeping quiet when I'm responsible for speaking up and being a faithful witness to Jesus, who is my Lord. I was in my office by myself, stunned. My phone rang and it was another friend. I tried to speak, but I couldn't. I sat still for a long time and I felt sick and I prayed. I asked Jesus to help me set aside my past opinions and my personal principles, my politics. And then I imagined that Jesus was there beside me as I watched what happened to George Floyd. And I asked Jesus to say something to me. I prayed, what do you want me to know? And what do you want me to do about it? And then I listened for the rest of the day. As a witness, I want to share what I heard. Five things which Jesus wants me to know and which Jesus wants me to do. First, 
Jesus wants me to know that this is heartbreaking to him. This is not how it's supposed to be. Cruelty and barbarity like this break God's heart. God feels it and he weeps. God joins with those who suffer and he suffers with them. And this is a moment of suffering which God chooses to share and it causes God grief. What should I do? Jesus tells me you should cry too. You should lament. You should mourn. You should let this go into your heart and break it. Because this inhumanity and wickedness is heartbreaking. Do not harden your heart. Let it feel the pain which this causes. I will comfort you in time, but only when you let your heart mourn for the things that break God's heart too. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Jesus said that this is heartbreaking. You should mourn. I will comfort you. That's first. Second, Jesus wants me to know that God hates injustice. This death not only makes God sad, but it evokes his wrath. It's not enough to say that he rejects it or that he doesn't like it or that he wants it to be different. He hates injustice. Read through the prophets of the Old Testament. You'll discover that second only to the sin of idolatry is the sin of injustice. When those who have power use it to harm those who do not. God's response to injustice is passionate and wrathful. Now, if someone will ask, what about all the other injustice that is happening right now? Doesn't that deserve our attention? All injustice is hateful to God. Criminal behavior of every kind is unequivocally bad. That includes looting and rioting and every violent act against every person who becomes a victim, obviously. But right now, it is time to dwell on this moment of injustice. It is your responsibility. Remember, this is Jesus talking to me. It is your responsibility to refuse to be distracted by all the other different kinds of injustice, to excuse yourself from looking at what happened here to George Floyd, which you don't want to see, but which you must. Here, I see a person who is in an official role of power, whose job is to uphold the law, and he is breaking it and crushing a defenseless and handcuffed person to death face down in the street. And this is categorically different than other kinds of injustice. It must be extremely difficult to be a police officer. 
especially now. I believe and trust that the vast majority are good men and women who work at serving justice because they are committed to what is good. Even though their jobs are often thankless and dangerous, I thank God for people who serve in this role. I pray for them regularly. But this man's brutality is a type of injustice that is especially hateful to God. The biblical prophets consistently single out those in official positions of leadership, the priests and judges and various religious leaders. When they misuse their power, they are judged by God with special vehemence. When those who are officially above use their positions to oppress those who are beneath them, God hates it. What should I do? Jesus tells me, God wants you to share his hatred for injustice. Don't let it be turned into anger or vengeance. Instead, let it produce in you a fiery resolve to use every bit of power you have to work for justice. Listen. He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? That's Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Jesus tells me to use every bit of power I have as a brother and a son, as a father and husband, as a pastor, as a person who has the resources and education I have, and even the social position I enjoy for good, to work for justice in whatever way I can. Now, here's the third thing which Jesus wants me to hear. God hates racism. Jesus died to free the world from sin. And one sin from which the whole world needs to be freed is the sin of dividing up and believing our group is superior to another based on race. In Jesus' day, Racial divisions were socially embraced between Jews and Gentiles, barbarians and Greeks, and feelings of superiority were normalized and even religiously endorsed. But Jesus' death and resurrection put an end to these divisions and all attitudes of superiority in one group over another. The renewal he died to bring through his grace and love for all people judges and rejects racism of every kind. Listen to how Paul puts it. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. 
That's Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. The world needs Jesus' renewal, and I need Jesus' renewal, and it's time to say that the kind of injustice beneath George Floyd's death is not new, but it conforms to an old pattern of white knees on black necks, and it's a sign of how far we still have to go. Racial division and the oppression of minorities by those in power is a problem all over the world. Our country has made progress, and it's a country that I'm thankful that I live in, a country which has many unique virtues. But it is also a country that still suffers from an old and profound failure to accept certain dimensions of Jesus' renewal a failure that continues to infect individuals and our systems too. If you read the Declaration of Independence, signed in the summer 244 years ago, it's hard not to be inspired by the language of equality. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's beautiful. But the trouble is the men who wrote and signed this took it for granted that this equality in being and rights did not include people of color, or women either. They believed that whites were superior by virtue of their race. In order to continue endorsing slavery, they had to go on believing that. But Jesus says they were wrong. The abolitionist movement and official end of slavery was a good and righteous step. But personal and systemic racism didn't go away. They just evolved the refusal to view and treat people of color as equals persisted in our country. First, it was terror and intimidation and lynching. Then it was Jim Crow laws. And then the slow and steady reinforcement of a presumption of dangerousness and guilt, especially evident in law enforcement patterns in relationship to black men. Though we wish it weren't true, those early foundations have left a real and tragic legacy, one that still needs to be acknowledged and addressed too. The vestiges and persistence of racism are hateful to God and against Christ's renewal. Jesus wants me to hear that. What should I do? There's a part of me that wants to tell you what you should do. But I'm not going to. I, I want you to hear what Jesus tells me when I listen with my heart open to him. Acknowledge your defensiveness, he says. And then lay it down so that you are able to see the ways that you personally perpetuate the kind of racist ideas and behaviors that you feel certain you don't hold.
And Jesus wants me to be open to seeing the social patterns in our social systems, which reinforce an above and a below. Inequalities that I won't see unless I receive help because they're like the water I swim in and I'm a fish who only has known this water and I have a vested interest in not seeing it. Jesus wants me to listen and to be teachable so that I can learn and change. He wants me to take responsibility for becoming educated. It won't do to go on surrounding myself with people who all think like me or believe like me or look like me. It won't do to try and deepen my understanding in the same echo chamber that I have pledged my allegiance to all along. I must work at growing, and this will require humility. But I can trust that If I listen to and follow his voice, he will guide me into all truth. I need that. The fourth thing Jesus wants me to hear. God wants you to stay together. Seeing the violence and the cruelty And then hearing the rhetoric that I hear makes me want to divide up. But Jesus says that God wants you to keep together with those who do not agree with you as well as with those who do. Stay with those who see it like you do and with those who do not. Stop drawing lines. Stop putting up walls. Fight every impulse to retreat into your camp and surround yourself with your group. You will want to do this because it's more comfortable. And the work I'm calling you to is very difficult, but don't give in. The enemy wants you to divide up because it's one of the surest ways to inhibit progress toward my renewal, to divide up from one another. You think that it's the politics and race and economics that are the powers that are trying to pull you apart, but you're wrong. It is the enemy who wants you to divide up. The power of the air. All of these are tools being used by him. The enemy who is against all that is good and all people. The prince who is the divider. He wants to make you hate the people in the other group, however you define them. He is the one who makes you want to defend yourself more than understand the other viewpoint to protect your interests more than serve the interests of others, to point your finger at the other side while refusing to look at yourself. He will make you recoil at what feels like unfairness and a lack of balance, filling your mind with the predictable tropes and labels that are weapons your camp has taught you to use to dismiss the other group and protect yourself. And your reaction to all of this will be so deep down And the way out of this discomfort that will seem best to you and even righteous to you will be to separate into your group. This is what Jesus says to me about me, not about the other group, which I hope hears this, but to me. What should I do? Jesus' answer to me is listen carefully to the words of my servant Paul which he wrote to a church that was under attack with the spiritual powers of division. 
This is Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Take these words into your heart. God wants you to stay together. Make every effort to maintain the unity which God has achieved in giving himself in Christ. If you cannot, because it's just too much today, God is patient. You can take a break from the challenge. He will give you the strength you need in time. He will not push you beyond what you can bear. But he will also not stop working to bring you and to keep you together. One more thing. Jesus wants me to remember that God loves me even while I am still working at growing, even in the places where I have a long way to go. And Jesus wants me to know that God loves the other one, the ones that I put on the other side too. All of the people who I wrongly believe are my enemies. He loves them too. And Jesus wants me never to forget that. It's the whole world he loves, every broken bit of it. What should I do? Jesus says to me, let me love you, and then you pass my love along to others. Beloved, since God has loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. That's 1 John 4, verse 11. Today, I want to close our time together by praying with each other. Wherever you are, I want you to pray with me the prayer which Jesus taught his disciples to pray, the Lord's Prayer. The version we'll say is the one that I learned when I was a child. I invite you to pray aloud with me now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom 
and the power and the glory forever. Amen.